0: because you know i'm all about that burn about that burn no hill i'm all about that burn about that burn no fracking i'm all about that burn about that burn no hill i'm all about that burn about that burn 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 i'm just a feminist who's a boy crazy fool that's why i'll vote for him that's what i'm gonna do the young politician heart with all the right unions in all the right places i heard you gloria the statements that you dropped your victim <laughs> makes your votes that just won't stop i have burning fever look at that haircut each strand of I'm all about that burn, about that burn, no fracking. I'm all about that burn, about that burn, no hill. I'm all about that burn, about that burn.
1: And that was All About That Burn by Feminists for Bernie, which you can find on YouTube by searching for All About That Burn. Greetings and welcome back to Bernie 2016. This is an independent podcast established to follow and comment on Bernie Sanders' candidacy for President of the United States. This podcast is completely independent of any candidate, party, or PAC. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com or you can follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016. And if you want to find out more and check out the back episodes and also check out my Flipboard magazine, Bernie for President, you'll find all of that at Bernie-2016.com. And I'm recording this after the South Carolina primary is over. And to put it plainly, the South Carolina primary for Bernie Sanders was pretty devastating. He was uh, pretty, pretty thoroughly routed by Hillary Clinton. I think the margin was above 47% between the candidates. Hillary was over 70%. Bernie was down in the mid-20s. Um, this is is really uh, a devastating um, blow to what Sanders should have accomplished. It really shows that his campaign did not connect did not do a good job in South Carolina to end up with such a poor showing there. And that doesn't mean that a lot of people didn't work really, really hard. I don't want to denigrate the hard work on the ground that was done uh, for Bernie Sanders there. But at the end of the day, all of that hard work did not move very many voters into Bernie's camp And there are a lot of reasons for that, and I'll let others really dive in deep to those reasons. But bottom line, uh, one of the biggest constituencies in South Carolina are black voters on the Democratic side. They typically make up more than half of Democratic voters there, and Bernie got trounced in the black vote. I think among black men, uh, Bernie... One uh, In the low 20% range 22-23% And among black women It was About 11% Voted for Bernie Sanders With the balance Or, or pretty much all the balance Voting for Hillary Clinton um, So that's a, a Quick look At what happened in South Carolina Um it's the first state where Hillary really ran away with the vote against uh, Bernie Sanders. So after having four states having voted in caucuses or primaries, um, Hillary ran away with that one. Bernie Sanders pretty pretty much ran away with New Hampshire, not, not nearly as broad of a margin in New Hampshire, but I think it was about a 22% margin that Bernie won by New Hampshire, which was... I think uh, similarly um, impactful against the Hillary Clinton campaign, as far as results go there, really showed that she had some significant weakness and definitely uh, would not necessarily be able to kind of walk away with the nomination. Um, As we know, Iowa was a razor thin margin with the candidates nearly ending up tied there. Uh, And the other state that voted in Nevada, Hillary did um, win Nevada. She won Nevada, I will say, decisively, though not broadly. She won with about a little more than 5% margin against Bernie. So that's a decisive win, but it is not uh, a a major, um, major victory like what she managed to get in South Carolina. So with that all behind us, we move on to the Super Tuesday voting and there are I believe 11 states voting in Super tu- on Super Tuesday uh just coming up tomorrow as I record this. And uh about half of those states are in the south and where Hil- where Hillary is expected to do extremely well. And then the other half is kind of spread out around the country. There's Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, Minnesota, Massachusetts, Maine. Uh, so there's a, a a variety of different regions represented in, among the uh, Super Tuesday states. So while Hillary is expected to win fairly easily in those deep south states with uh, high populations of African-American voters, um, the others uh, Bernie stands a much better chance in And we'll have to wait for another day and a half or so to really see how all those play out. So as we uh, wait for that to happen, got a number of stories for you this episode. First story is from TheHill.com by Kyle Ballack and Mark Hench. Bernie Sanders is touting new fundraising totals for his Democratic presidential campaign and launching a one-day drive to reach $40 million in February that will, quote, absolutely shock the political establishment. And as I record this, it is the last day of February. It's February 29th. So as you listen to this, uh, February will probably be in the rear view mirror. But today, Sanders said in a statement, the campaign raised an impressive $36 million from 1.2 million individuals in February. So that's the one month total so far with less than a day to go. He wants to end the month with $40 million, however. He's looking for a one-day $4 million haul. Quote, it's a goal that I don't know if we can make, but I think it's very important that we try, Sanders said quote, we are still up against the billionaire class and their super PACs who are doing everything they can to stop our movement. And with the uh, large number of Super Tuesday states, and I think about a dozen more states that follow very, very shortly after, the Sanders campaign definitely needs this additional infusion of cash To make a big impact and win the nomination. And from GazetteNet.com. Massachusetts and other states involved in Super Tuesday have a critical vote ahead, one that pits the party establishment against a candidate driven by dissatisfaction with the current Washington power structure. No, we're not talking about Donald Trump and his Republican opponents. Today's topic is a choice many Democratic voters are grappling with between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Although the two candidates share a broad philosophy and agree on many issues, each offers a distinctly different vision from the party and the nation. In our view, Sanders' vision holds the greatest promise, one that is both radical and realistic. In endorsing the U.S. Senator from Vermont, the Gazette recognizes that many Americans feel disenfranchised from their government and are frustrated by the lack of movement towards addressing issues such as income inequality, climate change, and the taint of money in politics. Of the two Democrats, Sanders offers the clearest break from the status quo. With a record of working to narrow the gap between the rich and poor, treat climate change as a dire threat to future generations, and to end the days of the, quote, billionaire class subverting the common good. Underpinning all this is nearly a half century of public life in which Sanders has held firmly to his principles and refused to take donations from powerful moneyed interests. Sanders doesn't kiss many babies, but with him, voters sense, correctly, that what you see is what you get. A self-described democratic socialist, Sanders began at the fringes of American politics and hasn't moved much to the ideological right. But as mayor of Vermont's biggest city, Sanders was able to build pragmatic partnerships that energized the downtown business district while empowering the less fortunate. In a quarter century as U.S. congressman and senator, Sanders has shown himself capable of building coalitions as well as issuing calls to conscience. While some initially dismissed his presidential ambitions, Sanders' call for political revolution has galvanized voters and presented a serious challenge to Clinton, the presumptive front-runner. At the center of Sanders' bid are his plans to take on the corporate interests that he says have bankrupted the U.S. and created a loss of jobs, shrinking middle class, and crushing burden of student debt. Of the two candidates, Sanders stands the greatest chance of tapping voter discontent and converting it to a broad political will. Restoring the nation's faith in its government and politics has been a driving force in Sanders' revolution. We urge voters to give him the chance to try. And that is the endorsement in the Democratic primary of the Gazette, the Daily Hampshire Gazette. Uh, Newspaper in Western Massachusetts, that paper was established in 1786 and has a sister newspaper as well. And the two of those papers um, came out with this uh, endorsement of Bernie Sanders a few days ago. And another endorsement of Bernie Sanders came out a couple days ago. And this piece is from addictinginfo.org. And looking for the author here. And I'm not seeing... Yep, here we go. Author is Joe Fletcher. Bernie Sanders just received a major endorsement from the legendary activist, environmentalist, economist, and in my opinion, one of the coolest people ever. Winona Leduc. LaDuke's endorsement of Bernie Sanders came in the form of a video where she praised Sanders' vision for a fossil-free future. And here is the audio from that video. And you can find that video of LaDuke endorsing Bernie Sanders on YouTube.
2: My name is Winona LaDuke, and I'm from the White Earth Reservation in northern Minnesota. And I'm the executive director of Honor the Earth. And I'm here to support Bernie Sanders. My reservation in northern Minnesota is facing a set of large oil pipelines from the Enbridge Company. Those pipelines come both from the tar sands of northern Alberta and from the fracked oil fields of western North Dakota. We are opposed to those pipelines, and we need politicians that will stand with us and all of the other Indian territories that are in the way. We also know that our lands, as indigenous lands, are the place where most of the oil and gas and a good portion of the uranium and coal comes from. The easiest answer for the future generations is to keep it in the ground. And we are thankful to Bernie Sanders for saying, let's keep it in the ground. Don't make a mess. We can't clean up. I'm standing with Bernie Sanders because he understands that there are issues of race and there are issues of corporate privilege in this society. And so we must stand up to corporations and have the courage to do that. The man who's going to do that is Bernie Sanders. And so I'm with this man in this future. Let us work together for a good future for all of our children. Thank you. My name is Winona LaDuke and I'm from the White Earth Reservation. And
1: honor the earth. Miigwech. And that was the audio of Winona LaDuke, who uh, endorsed Bernie Sanders for the Democratic nomination in the audio from that video that you can find on YouTube. And back to the story that I started reading um, from addictinginfo.org. For those not familiar with LaDuke's history, she is an Indigenous American who has worked tirelessly fighting for tribal rights and sustainable development. Winona LaDuke is an Anishabeque Ojibwe, enrolled member of the Mississippi band Anishinaabeg. After graduating from Harvard, LaDuke spent her career writing about issues that hurt Indigenous groups and the environment. LaDuke currently works as director Of Honor the Earth. It is not surprising that LeDuc has decided to endorse Sanders for president. Sanders has an ambitious plan to completely transform the United States energy infrastructure. What's really great about Sanders' quote, keep it in the ground strategy is that so much of it can be accomplished without the approval of Congress. The President of the United States has the authority to prevent the State Department from granting leases to fossil fuel companies if they want to extract dirty fuels from federal land. President Obama recently used this power to put a quasi-moratorium on leases for coal mines. As President Sanders would also be able to not give leases to companies who wish to build pipelines across international borders. One aspect of Sanders' energy plan should be of particular interest to both racial justice groups, environmentalists, and those who work in their intersection. Sanders recognizes the disparity of the impact fossil fuel extraction and usage has on indigenous peoples and communities of color. That's why he supports legislation that would work to halt the devastation fossil fuels are causing while creating millions of new jobs. And in addition to uh, the stated um, kind of background of Winona LaDuke from this article, uh, Winona LaDuke actually ran for vice president on a Green Party ticket with Ralph Nader. And on to some more endorsements for Bernie Sanders. And this is from B-L-E-A-U-S-A dot org. And this is from Blacks in Law Enforcement of America. Supports Bernie Sanders for Democratic Presidential Primary. It is our duty as peace officers and members of Blacks in Law Enforcement of America to continue the fight for freedom, justice, and justice. And equality for all citizens. We have always been advocates of law enforcement professionals by establishing continuous training and support for our officers. As Black law enforcement professionals, we pledge our time, honor, and talent for the uplifting of our communities. In keeping with our mission, it is with great pride that the Blacks in Law Enforcement of America, a national organization of black law enforcement professionals, will support U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders on his run to be the Democratic nominee for President of the United States of America. As a national organization of black law enforcement professionals, U.S. Senator Sanders is the only candidate that has addressed the institutional and social injustices against black, brown, and indigenous Americans as violences, including physical, political, legal, economic, and environmental, are perpetuated. As black law enforcement professionals, we believe that law enforcement's purpose is to protect and serve. Our leaders should not try to contain the poor, the economically disadvantaged, or to take advantage of those disenfranchised. We need to have a true voice in the social matters and injustices of today. Senator Sanders has been vocal in the issues of the need of police forces that reflect the diversity of our communities, increasing civilian oversight of police departments, to federally fund and require body cameras for law enforcement officers, establishing a new federal model where police training programs are the focus of every local government creating a police culture that allows for good officers to report the actions of bad officers without fear of retaliation and allows for a department to follow through on such reports we support senator sanders because his platform is to pursue national policies that value the people of color in the institution of responsible policing in america We are supporting a candidate that has supported the minority community when it wasn't popular. We are supporting a man who has a proven history on the front lines in the battle of our civil liberties. And the name at the bottom of this endorsement is Damon K. Jones, New York representative of Blacks in Law Enforcement of America. And while uh, the campaign for the nomination for the Democratic Party for president in 2016 uh, goes forward, there's, of course, a lot of examination of the history of the candidates. And there's uh, quite a lot being said about prior support for legislation and prior votes and what that legislation actually has meant for people since its passage and of course in particular the clinton campaign which has um some very skilled uh opposition opposition research uh individuals and groups um have been digging into bernie's past voting record and really um Promoting those votes where they feel have gone uh, contrary to the public good as they define it. And as well as that, um, Bernie has been talking about Hillary Clinton's support and endorsement and uh, actual, you know, fighting for some of those policies that came out of Bill Clinton's presidency. She was one of the most active first ladies that we've seen. She, you know, did not, as a few have, uh, kind of pick one or two um, important issues to focus on and really primarily focus on those. She was active in a lot of the areas that uh, Bill Clinton supported and a lot of the policies that he supported. One of those major pieces of legislation that came out from uh, Bill Clinton's White House and the Congress that was in place at the time was the welfare reform law. And one of the impacts of that law was that a lot of people were thrown off of welfare and while some uh, made steps forward and were able to get jobs and make better lives for themselves, a good deal of those people were not able to do so. And this piece is from the WashingtonPost.com. It is by Max Aaron Freund. And it is titled Bernie Sanders is Right Bill Clinton's Welfare Law Doubled Extreme Poverty. After 20 years, Bernie Sanders wants to put welfare back on the national agenda, seeing a chance to use his message of economic equality to undermine Hillary Clinton's base of support among black voters. Primaries across the South over the next few days give him what might be the best chance he'll get. Hundreds of thousands of Southern families are living on less than $2 in cash a day. As a result of legislation President Bill Clinton signed, In 1996, according to new research by Johns Hopkins University's Catherine Eden and University of Michigan's Luke Schaefer. In South Carolina this week, ahead of that state's primary election on Saturday, Sanders brought up the 20 year old law in a press conference. Quote, What welfare reform did, in my view, was to go after some of the weakest and most vulnerable people in this country, he said noting that Hillary Clinton, the former First Lady and his rival for the Democratic presidential nomination, supported the legislation. The profound and enduring consequences of that law and of the rest of Clinton's policies on poverty are only just becoming clear. It is a complicated legacy. Economists credit Clinton's decisions with reducing poverty overall and helping many people find work. Yet recent evidence suggests that financial conditions have worsened for those who could not find work, the poorest of the poor. Some observers are sounding a note of concern. Quote, People who were able to find work either because they live in places where work was available or because they were better qualified than the average welfare recipient have done pretty well, said Christopher Jenks, an expert on poverty at Harvard University. Quote, People who can't find work— and are where they were before they had welfare at all, that's a big problem. People have no means of support for themselves or their children. In 2004, Jenks was one of the authors of an article that declared, quote, "...welfare reform is now widely viewed as one of the greatest successes of contemporary social policy." Quote, "...I was wrong," he said. As a result, a certain kind of grave poverty has reappeared in the United States. Sanders said that the number of people living in extreme poverty has doubled under President Clinton's reforms. If anything, that was an understatement. Eden and Schaefer's research show that the number of people living on $2 a day or less in cash has increased more than twofold to 1.6 million households. For those Americans unable to work and who were ineligible for government assistance as a result, the effects were devastating. That has been clear in the South, which has the greatest poverty rate of any U.S. region. Eden reported that about 4 in 10 households surviving on less than $2 in cash a day live in the South. The prevalence of extreme poverty there is partly a result of how state policymakers used the authority they gained under President Clinton's reform. Clinton replaced traditional welfare with a new program called Temporary Assistance to Needy Families. And in order to comply with the law, states either had to place a certain number of beneficiaries in training, job placement, or community service programs, or they had to stop issuing payments to those recipients. For many states, it was easier and cheaper to reduce the rolls. As an example, the number of people receiving assistance has plummeted in Georgia, where voters cast ballots Tuesday. Using the authority they gained under Clinton's law, policymakers in Georgia virtually eliminated assistance for adults beginning in 2004. The number on the rules declined by 93% over five years, according to official data. Only about a third of people who were leaving the program were finding work. Today, applicants in Georgia must complete an onerous, structured employment search before they can receive benefits. The search often involves spending 40 hours a week for several weeks looking for a job. You can't take three weeks, Eden said. You've got to actually scrounge for stuff so your kids don't starve. Among households with less than $2 a day in income, 7 in 10 have an adult who has spent a month or more in the past year working in the formal sector, Eden said. Many of those positions are temporary. Some poor parents might find they can't hold down a job, given the responsibilities of caring for their families. That doesn't prevent them from trying. Quote, this is how deeply the poor, even the extreme poor, value work, she said. They're trying to make work work. Work. And this has always been the case with the significant majority of people who end up on welfare, end up on public assistance. It's not for most of those individuals the fact that they don't want to work, it is the fact that work is often out of reach for them. They have family situations that make it extraordinarily difficult to work the types of hours and types of shifts that uh, are the norm in our society and still take care of their children and still take care of their families and keep their families together to the extent that their families are together in the first place. When someone has to spend more than they can earn an income on child care, when someone has to you know, take time off of work to care for a sick family member when someone has to miss work because of their own illness and has to try to pay for medical bills. um, There's a lot of the current structure of our system that makes it very difficult for a certain segment of our society who want to work to actually work. And that segment of our society that is the poorest of the poor was definitely hurt by the welfare reform put forth under Bill Clinton's administration. One of the things that is really makes it uh, provides a number of different challenges for. The population in the United States in finding work, in finding satisfying work, is the structure of our healthcare system. Uh, people often will stay in a job that is detrimental to them, or that is not coming close to filling fulfilling their needs and satisfying them because that place of employment offers health insurance. And this next piece is from HuffingtonPost.com. It is an open letter, and it is called Setting the Record Straight on Medicare for All, an open letter from 560 physicians. And medical students. The following statement has been signed by more than 560 physicians and medical students. It was crafted by Andrea Christopher, MD, Fellow in General Internal Medicine at Harvard Medical School, Adam Gaffney, MD, Fellow in Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School, and the two of us, Dr. Steffi Woolhandler and David U. Himmelstein. Other physicians and medical students are invited to read and sign the statement here, Medicare-4-all.us. The renewed debate over the merits of single-payer health reform has been marred by misleading claims that such reform is unnecessary and unaffordable. We write to set the record straight. Despite the advances of the Affordable Care Act, The healthcare financing system continues to inflict needless suffering on our patients. Nearly 30 million Americans remain uninsured, and co-payments, deductibles, and insurers' narrow networks obstruct care for many more. Insurers skim billions from premiums and impose expensive and time-consuming paperwork on doctors, nurses, and hospitals. Studies in the most trusted journals have quantified the bureaucratic savings achievable through single-payer reform. We devote 31% of medical spending to administration versus 16.7% in Canada, a difference of $350 billion annually. And single-payer systems in Canada, the UK, and Australia all use their bargaining clout to get discounts of 50% From the prices drug companies charge our patients. The potential savings on bureaucracy and drugs are enough to cover the uninsured and to upgrade coverage for all Americans, a conclusion affirmed over decades by multiple analysts, including the Congressional Budget Office and the Government Accountability Office. Recent critics of Medicare for All warn of large increases in government spending, but fail to note that these would be fully offset by savings on private insurance premiums and out-of-pocket costs. Their forecast of massive surges in doctor visits and hospital care conflicts with the past experience of coverage expansions. When 15 million Americans gained insurance under the ACA in 2014, hospital admissions didn't budge. No surge in hospital use or doctor visits occurred when Medicare and Medicaid were rolled out. Or, when Canada's single-payer system started up, doctors saw sick and poor patients more often, but their healthy, wealthy patients a bit less often. Experience in many nations over many decades provides convincing evidence that single-payer reform is both medically necessary and economically advisable. And this next piece is from the Chicago Tribune. On Sunday, a rising star Democratic congresswoman effectively defected from her party establishment to join the opposition. Representative Tulsi Gabbard, Democrat, Hawaii, announced on NBC's Meet the Press that she's stepping down from her post as vice chair of the Democratic National Committee, which requires her to be neutral in the primary and is endorsing Senator Bernie Sanders. It's a move that makes little sense on the surface, especially coming mere hours after Hillary Clinton's shellacking of Sanders in South Carolina's primary. But digging deeper into Gabbard's unconventional and sometimes combative approach to politics, her alliance with Sanders starts to add up. Like the man she's endorsing for president, Gabbard is a wild card who is willing to put her future with the Democratic Party on the line to speak out against it. Gabbard is probably well aware that her Sanders endorsement could harm her standing within the party's power structure. But from what we've seen from the two-term congressman, she probably doesn't care. In October, Gabbard got into a nasty back-and-forth with DNC Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz over the DNC's six primary debates. Gabbard thought the party should hold more. Wasserman Schultz suggested that Gabbard shouldn't go to that week's debate in Las Vegas. Before that, Gabbard earned appearances on Fox News and a glowing profile in the conservative National Review after very publicly blasting Pre- President Barack Obama's failure to say, quote, radical Islam, and suggesting that he's weak on Syria. Despite her somewhat hawkish views on terrorism in the Middle East, Gabbard indicated Sunday that she's endorsing Sanders mainly because of his more cautious approach to military engagement abroad. And instead of me telling you more about what Tulsi Gabbard had to say in that endorsement, here it is.
3: Aloha, I'm Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. As a veteran of two Middle East deployments, I know firsthand the cost of war. I know how important it is that our Commander-in-Chief has the sound judgment required to know when to use America's military power and when not to use that power. As a Vice-Chair of the DNC, I'm required to stay neutral in Democratic primaries, but I cannot remain neutral any longer. The stakes are just too high. That's why, today, I'm endorsing Senator Bernie Sanders to be our next President and Commander-in-Chief of the United States. We need a Commander-in-Chief who has foresight, who exercises good judgment, and who understands the need for a robust foreign policy which defends the safety and security of the American people and who will not waste precious lives and money on interventionist wars of regime change. Such counterproductive wars undermine our national security and economic prosperity. As these elections continue across the country, the American people are faced with a very clear choice. We can elect a president who will lead us into more interventionist wars of regime change. Or we can elect a president who will usher in a new era of peace and prosperity. It's with this clear choice in mind that I'm resigning as vice chair of the DNC so that I can strongly support Bernie Sanders as the Democratic nominee for president of the United States. And now I ask you, stand with me and support Bernie Sanders.
1: And that was Tulsi Gabbard, who resigned her position in leadership at the uh, Democratic National Committee, um, to endorse Bernie Sanders' run for presidency. And Bernie Sanders got another endorsement out in Arizona from a very important group in that state. And this is from phoenixnewtimes.com by Elizabeth Stewart. One of Arizona's most prominent Latino rights organizations has thrown its support behind Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. It is the first time Living United for Change in Arizona, or Lucha as it is more commonly known, has publicly backed any politician since its 2009 founding, said Thomas Robles, the nonprofit's executive director. Robles said that Lucha chose to speak out because its 800 members are, quote, frustrated with the establishment and feel Sanders is a candidate whose values most closely align with their goals. Quote, looking at his record and what he stood for, it only makes sense that Lucha members back him, Robles said. In particular, he said Lucha appreciates the Vermont U.S. Senator's ideas about improving access to health care and a university education, as well as his promise to dismantle immigration detention centers, pave the way to citizenship for undocumented immigrants, and modernize the visa system to make it easier for people to come to the United States legally. Sanders also has pledged to address income inequality by closing tax loopholes for the wealthy, investing in youth jobs programs, and raising the federal minimum wage from $7.25 to $15 per hour, an issue Lucha has loudly lobbied for through the Fight for 15 campaign. Quote, every day we hear the stories of moms working at fast food restaurants for 11 years and only making $11 an hour, and students who want to get more involved, but their tuition is squeezing them, said Alejandra Gomez, co-executive director of Lucha. Quote, at every turn our community is being squeezed and the only candidate speaking for them is Bernie. Lucha officials are the latest in a string of Arizona-based Latino leaders to endorse Sanders in the past month. Democratic Arizona Congressman Raul Grijalva, State Senator Martin Cazada, Cazada, Maricopa County Supervisor Steve Gallardo, and about a dozen others all are, quote, feeling the burn. And from CommercialAppeal.com, MLK Associate tells Memphis Baptist Group he is backing Bernie Sanders. This is by Linda A. Moore. A frontline soldier of the civil rights movement was in Memphis on Tuesday, promoting the advantages of a Bernie Sanders presidency to members of the Memphis Baptist Ministerial Association. Knoxville Minister Reverend Harold Middlebrook, a Memphis native and former lieutenant of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., told the gathering of more than 50 black preachers at Greater Mount Moriah Baptist Church in South Memphis that Sanders represented everything he had struggled for over the last 50 years, detailing the Vermont senator's plans to offer free college, reform the criminal justice system, raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, and provide universal health care For all Americans. Quote, We've got to be concerned not just about popularity and names, but we've got to look at the issues and see who is going to really speak on our behalf, Middlebrook said. And if we make a solid impression in Memphis, if Memphis wants to, Memphis can carry any election in this state. Quote, We need to elect a president who can bring young folk, middle-aged folk, and us seasoned folk together together. And build a great nation again. So another endorsement, an important endorsement, from a black church leader in Tennessee uh, speaking to a group of Baptist ministers at the Memphis Baptist Ministerial Association. It's an important group, as I mentioned, in the results from South Carolina. It's a very important group that Sanders has only made limited progress in attracting. And I think the people who have come out publicly, the black leaders from the civil rights movement and black leaders in the South and elsewhere who have come out publicly for Bernie Sanders have really stated loudly and clearly that Sanders policies, they feel are the best for the black community and for all of America, and I think that there's still there's still a challenge. There's still a big challenge for Bernie to reach more people, um, to reach more individuals in the African American community, and make sure that they understand where he's coming from, and make sure that they know what he stands for. I think there's still a large segment of that community who don't know the extent of Sanders policies. And I think that's on his campaign and on his supporters to get the word out there. But I think we also need to be a little bit cautious as we do, because there are, is there are also a significant number of members of the African American community who have looked who did take a look at what Bernie Sanders' policies are, and they've decided that uh Hillary's a better choice for them, and I have you know that that's up to each of us to decide who we feel will better represent the good of the public and who will better be able to um move things forward and i've clearly determined for me that's bernie sanders um and others have determined determined you know a different um or come to a different conclusion and and that's fine and, and good for them and i don't fault them um it's the people who have the people who have landed on Hillary Clinton by default, where I think there's still some opportunity for the Sanders campaign to do better outreach, to better get his policies and positions out there so people know and understand what he stands for. And I think when that happens, we see that Sanders gains support. When more people know about what he stands for, more people support Sanders. So I think that it's critical for him to build that support and you know i think that that there is good positive movement in that direction but that support is, has only really scratched the surface of the potential that's out there and you know i talk a lot about the black community because the press talks a lot about the black community and i am i'm not black and i can't obviously not speak for the black community. And I think what goes for the black community is also true for the white community. There are many, many people in the white community who vote for the name they recognize. Heck, that's why uh, Donald Trump is so popular because you know, anybody that partakes in our mainstream media culture and again, I said mainstream when I should have said commercial. Anyone who who partakes in our commercial media culture knows who who Donald Trump is, and some people are attracted to him because he says whatever he thinks, and I think that could could be a uh, a, a laudable trait if he didn't think such crass and racist crap. Um, So I think there are very many, many people in all different types of communities, including the white community and especially the um, whites that struggle in our, in our current economic system. I think there's a lot of what Bernie stands for that could be very meaningful to them and would be very beneficial to them if they supported Sanders as opposed to somebody else, somebody better known, somebody that they have seen before and heard before and who is an extremely well-known public figure. I mean, really, the leaders in the races on both sides are extremely well-known public figures or... uh, entertainment figures. Um, you know, It's I don't know exactly how to classify Trump, but the, you know, a large number of people know Hillary Clinton, a large number of people know Donald Trump and don't necessarily dislike them. Although, interestingly, the two front runners on either side are two of the politicians with the highest level of people who dislike them. Um, Both Hillary and Trump, when you look at the general population, as opposed to like Democrats only or Republicans only, um, are disliked by many more people than they are liked by. In fact, most of the politicians running on both sides have a higher negative rating versus positive rating um, in all the polls And in just about all those polls, I hesitate to say all because I've never seen one that this was non-accurate in, but I'm sure there are a few. But in almost all of those polls that measure people's uh, like or dislike, and I don't think they use that language so much, but positive or negative feelings about a candidate, Bernie Sanders has the highest positive ratings. In some polls, he's the only candidate that has a positive rating, Uh, but he has the highest positive ratings of any candidate that's running on either side. So uh, there's a lot of great things about Bernie Sanders, and I guess my concern at this point in the campaign is that more people aren't more aware of Sanders, so, on to another endorsement, and this endorsement is, I found this on com. Newport News, Virginia. Today, Delegate Marsha S. Sia Price endorsed Senator Bernie Sanders for president in the Democratic primary. Economic development, education, safer neighborhoods, and equality have been her top priorities for over 10 years, and they stand to be top issues for the 95th District, the Commonwealth, and the nation. Price stated, quote, The next president of the United States will have a huge impact on the opportunities that are available for our youth, marginalized communities, and the middle class. Our next president must understand the complexities of intersectional and institutional injustice and have the courage to take on entities that stand as obstacles to achieving justice. And our next president must espouse policies that create a brighter future for our children. Bryce continued, Senator Bernie Sanders is the best candidate for the issues that are important to my district and to me. Senator Sanders has been fighting for social justice since he was younger than me and exudes the passion and fortitude needed to lead our country. Senator Sanders has proven his willingness to take on Wall Street and the injustice of hard-earned taxpayer dollars going to corporate welfare. His Employ Young Americans Now Act, thoughts on raising the minimum wage, and plans to strengthen our pre-K through college educational system all demonstrate his commitment to investing in the success of our next generation. From supporting community policing, body cameras, to demilitarizing our local police departments, Sanders sees the, ne- the value in creating better relationships between the community and law enforcement to fight crime and make neighborhoods safer. For Price, quote, the most important of the issues that Senator Sanders is taking on is criminal justice reform. His stances on the prison-industrial complex, eliminating mandatory minimums, working on mental health issues in meaningful ways, all while dismantling the cradle-to-prison pipeline are the type of forward-thinking and solutions-oriented initiatives we need. But we can't stop just at dismantling. We must also rebuild the cradle-to-success pipeline with evidence-based prevention and intervention efforts to keep our children safe and help them live out their dreams. Bernie gets this. Finally, for social justice, Price sees it as important that Bernie is willing to fight for gender equality, LGBTQ equality, women's access to health care, and strengthening our families. Quote, I take very seriously the needs of my district, the issues that my constituents have voiced, and my personal commitment to fighting for them. It is this reason that I endorse Senator Bernie Sanders for president. I encourage you to vote for him on Tuesday, Price said. And wrapping up this episode, while it is still Monday here in the United States, it is actually Tuesday in other parts of the world. And some of those parts of the world are voting in the Super Tuesday Primary. Bernie Sanders, according to this story Has won the primary in New Zealand And this is from the thedailycause.com By Slinkerwink Democrats living abroad in New Zealand Have made their voices heard In the first Super Tuesday election of the race New Zealand is the first of 39 countries where Democrats abroad will host in-person voting between March 1 and March 8. Voting sites will be open in 22 countries on Super Tuesday alone and in 104 cities throughout the week. Voting took place at the public bar and eatery in Wellington at midnight local time, with the announcement made at 12.30 a.m. Wellington time. Results from the Democrats abroad's global presidential primary site in Wellington for midnight March 1 are as follows: Total ballots cast 28, Spoiled ballots 1, Bernie Sanders 21, Hillary Clinton 6. So, indeed, Bernie Sanders wins by 70 points in the first Super Tuesday results in Wellington, New Zealand. And I hope that is the first of many wins that go into Bernie Sanders' column. And the global... uh, Let me see, what did they call this exactly? Um... The Democrats abroad primary is a global primary, so not each country does not uh, end up um, assigning or supporting delegates. I'm not sure the number of delegates that the Democrats abroad actually end up uh, delivering to the candidates, but hopefully Bernie Sanders continues to win a vast majority of those and those delegates, the majority of those delegates, end up in Sanders' column. So we will see uh, that voting, the Democrats' abroad voting, is open for a week and in throughout different countries throughout the world. So it'll be a while before we get some final numbers there. So that will wrap up this episode of Bernie 2016. If you want to find out more, you can go to Bernie-2016.com to find out more about this show and find some links to other things that I find important. And if you want to reach out to me, you can follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016 or you can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at com. And as we go tonight, we are listening to Can't Buy the Burn by Burning Man, which you can find on YouTube by searching for Burning Man, B-E-R-N-I-N-G-M-A-N, and Can't Buy the Burn. And that particular uh, singer has recorded a number of different um, Parody type songs Or songs based on Well known hits That are in support Of Bernie Sanders So check those out As well Once again Can't buy the burn By Burning Man Thanks for listening
4: No, no Can't buy the burn with a suitcase full of cash and they'll be sure to bail you out when you cause a Wall Street crash but money don't mean too much to Bernie money can't buy the burn and Bernie's got no super pack like the other hopefuls do but Bernie don't need no super pack cause he's got me and you cause money don't mean much to Bernie, money can't buy the burn, can't buy the burn. And Bernie, you can trust, can't buy the burn. Cause Bernie stands with us. So tell those Wall Street lobbyists that it ain't no use to try. Cause Bernie is the candidate, the money just can't buy. Cause money don't mean to burning money can't buy the burn can't buy the burn